Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. So welcome, lovers of product. Today, I'm here with Justin Dilley, the VP of product for Full Story. Justin, why don't you kick this off by giving us a little bit of an overview of, of your background? Yeah, Eric, thanks again for having me on and getting the chance to talk about all things product. And my, my background is, a, is an interesting one. I've got a pretty diverse background across a number of areas, but I originally started my career in IT and then quickly realized that IT was not going to be a very good long-term career for, for me. So I did that for a little while. And then I ultimately went back and got my MBA as a way to do a bit of a career pivot and found my way post-MBA to Amazon. And Amazon at the time was actually, it probably hard to believe, a much smaller company. I think there was about 5,000 employees. And you compare that to the scale now, and it's just very different. So I joined and I helped launch and lead a product that Amazon was trying to make a go of called Checkout by Amazon, which believe it or not, it's actually pretty hard to sell payments technology to other retailers that Amazon is ultimately competing against. And so as the business was fizzling out or winding down a little bit, I had a former manager ask if I wanted to get into product management and Amazon had just launched their first line of Fire tablets. And so I went over as a a senior product manager and helped launch about three generations of devices. And then I ultimately wanted to get back into the, the new business, kind of the zero to one product management. And I helped out with the Amazon Dash business. Really, there was two sides to the Amazon Dash business. The one side is probably the most obvious thing that most folks might might have seen as the little dash buttons that you would press to reorder toilet paper or other consumables. But the platform is what I was responsible for helping get off the ground. And we were really focused on helping third-party device manufacturers embed automatic replenishment technology into their devices, which is a really exciting kind of B to B to C marketplace. And I got a really good sense across kind of the developer ecosystem and the B2B side of the world and while still sticking with my B2C roots. And then ultimately, my wife and I wanted to move a little closer to home. And so we started looking at opportunities. And I found that uh, Home Depot had an opportunity to come lead their mobile business and mobile product team. And that seemed like a really exciting, interesting opportunity. So I did that for just a little over a year. And then You know, really serendipitously, I uh, ran into one of the co-founders of Full Story at a kid's birthday party, and we just got to chatting. And you know, I was getting a better understanding of what Full Story did, and he was getting a better understanding of my background. And he he asked if if I'd be interested in thinking about uh, building out the product management team at Full Story. And so I came and I met the team, and I was totally blown away by the the team and the product and the vision of the company. And so for the last couple of years, I've been helping the full story team build out the practice of product management and helping with kind of all things, things product. 
Yeah, you, you mentioned the dash buttons. I still have a couple of those from back in the day. Uh, <laughs> and I remember the cool thing, too, is you could program those. Like, you could kind of hack them. They're a little hacker's tool in some way, too. That was kind of cool. Yeah, it was really interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned that. We, we saw the same thing on the business side. We ended up working with our partners over at AWS to ship kind of a, a white label button that developers could use AWS's IoT software stack to you know, do a bunch of cool, interesting custom things. Yeah, I always thought it was pretty awesome for that purpose more than, you know, ordering the toilet paper when I yeah. was but still definitely kind of cool. So tell me a little bit about a full story. You know, what are you doing there now? You know, what big problems are you solving? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll start with the, the full story. So full story is a digital experience management company, which I know sounds like a, a big, broad world. But really, we are in business to help our customers improve the digital experiences that they're delivering to their users across all their digital properties, their website and their mobile app. And so we work really deeply to provide a set of insights and abilities for our customers to be able to understand and ultimately find and fix the frustrating moments that we all probably experience online. And so that's that's the company. And then for me, I lead the product management organization at Full Story. And so helping think through the roadmap and our product strategy and how we add value to customers. So that's that's kind of Full Story and, and me in a nutshell. Yeah. So what's the big challenges with product management at Full Story? Well, it was interesting. You know, I, I've, it's been quite a journey here for us at Full Story. So when I joined, there wasn't formal product management in the in the true sense of having product managers. I mean, we had a handful of folks across the organization doing product management work, but there was no real formal product management. And so I had the opportunity to kind of stand up the the practice and establish some of the norms and, and cadences around what product management means at Full Story. And I think for us, we really think about the organization or the product management practice here as trying to help understand the why behind our customers and and their problems and trying to connect the value of the product to the business problems that our customers have. And we help the team in things like product prioritization and deep customer insights and discovery and setting kind of bold, ambitious objectives and key results along with the team to help us track towards and make sure that we're delivering maximum value for our customers, ultimately to help them get value for their business by delivering better customer experiences or digital experiences. Awesome. So let's jump back a little, you know, talk to me about doing product management as Amazon. And that was your first foray into product management. So walk me through a little bit about the thought process you had in making that jump into product management. And then talk to me a little bit about what it was like as a product manager at Amazon, especially, you know, in a product line that was a mix of hardware and software. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, it probably like a lot of other product managers, there isn't a really well-defined career track for folks to necessarily get into product management. And I I fell backwards into product management. I I, luck, I lucked out and had a boss of mine say, "Hey, you know, as as we're kind of winding down this one business, you should think about going into product management." And he ultimately connected me with the product leadership at the in the Amazon devices business and we had a conversation and I was just really excited about the really for me the opportunity to marry you know technology into a physical product that uh, would add value to my users at that time and so even though I fell backwards into product management I've always 
as I look back, I've always felt like I was kind of born to be a product manager. I've always been interested in technology. I've always been interested in products and building great products. And then the intersection of those two things with the business side, I think, has been been really great. And product management at, at Amazon is a, is a really interesting, I think, somewhat unique experience. It really depends on what business you're in. But the one thing that I, I will say about Amazon is at a really across all levels of the organization, product managers have a huge scope of their role. And so you think about a senior product manager, or I was a senior manager of product management, the scope of role that you get as a product manager is really, really big. And you know, you're not totally prepared for that when you join, at least I wasn't. And so when I joined the team as a, as a senior product manager, I was kind of given a chunk of the overall software experience to kind of mold and shape and figure out and work with our design team and work with our engineering team to bring that to life for customers. And so that was both a jarring and exciting experience. And so as I progressed in my career, I ultimately got to a point where where my team owned the core experience or the core software experience that we were delivering on our Fire tablets. And then I had a peer of mine who was thinking about the hardware side of the world. And so we kind of coexisted together to ultimately bring products to market and kind of a software hardware combination. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you know, from there you shifted over to Home Depot, right? Actually, before I jump into Home Depot, I think one interesting thing to note, I wanted to get your your thought on like, you know, there's always these stories of, you know, people saying, hey, you know, forget about your role, just jump on board of a rocket ship, right? And in the Amazon case, you know, you came in there, you got involved in, and then you got pulled over to product management, which is a role you've now made a career of and done well at. And it would have been a lot harder to get into that role at Amazon if you weren't already there, right? Already working on a business unit there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And again, I, I feel in some ways fortunate enough that I uh, I kind of fell backwards into the career that I'm that I'm in now, and I'm super fortunate enough to have a manager or had a manager at the time that I think recognized where my real passion was and where some of my skills and abilities were, and he helped kind of shepherd me into product management. But I do feel like I was always career-wise probably would end up here even through a you know kind of circular route. And what you mentioned about the kind of rocket ship aspect, I think is is very much true when you think about either trying to break into product management or if you want to ultimately transition into product management at the company you're in. I think when you're in that hyper growth mode and you're growing the team and the business is growing super fast, I think internally you can learn a lot by being at a different part of the organization. So let's say you're a customer success manager, you're really close to customers you can really deeply understand their problems. And in a hyper-growth phase, when you're adding headcounts and when you're increasing the team size and you're helping grow the business, I think there's natural organic opportunities for folks to get into product management from kind of a non-traditional background. And, and very much, I have a probably a non-traditional background, even though it is technical. And I, and I guess I have a, an MBA, but I, I certainly was not gunning for a product management role when I first joined the company. Yeah, and I, but I think that's it's a good point for listeners because a lot of people ask me, well, how do I get into product management if I'm coming out of you know a business degree or humanities or even on the technical side? And I, I think one way to get there 
and there's lots of ways to get there. But one way to get there is, is just what you did is jump on board a fast growing company in a different role. And then there's going to be organic opportunities that come out. Maybe it's because, you know, you've become friends with some of the product managers and you've learned about the space. Maybe it's just because of some of the work you're doing in other areas and management sees, you know, an opportunity for you to move in. Maybe it's because of the interest you've shown. You know, there's lots of different things. But as companies are growing really quickly, there is that opportunity to move from, you know, a CS role or a sales role or an engineering role into product management just because of the organic growth of those companies and, and the need for them to hire people and the value you have as, you know, having an understanding of the company, different facets of the company, not just the product management side. So I, I must say to the listeners out there, there's, you know, jump on board some of these fast growing companies, even if it's not in that role exactly you want, if you're new to the product management space, and there will be opportunities for you more than likely if you kind of, uh, you know, do a little bit of the work on the side. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I get this, I get asked this question a lot about how do I get into product management or what my path into product management was. And you're 100% right that an, an easier approach in some ways is to join a fast growing startup. And the advice I give to folks and what I would give to listeners here is to think about what your bridge role looks like. There's this concept that I've kind of batted around in my head about if you ultimately wanted to get into product management, but you don't have any true kind of product management experience that you can put on your resume, think about the role that you think can ultimately get you to being a product manager where you can really get close to customers or you can really get close to the product development process. But this concept of a, a bridge role and finding and identifying that role at a company that you think is just puts you one step closer to being able to translate and learn about how product management works or how product development works, I think is a really effective way for folks looking to break into product management, regardless of what background they have. And I think those opportunities are very much a plenty at a growth stage company. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are good points for, for people to think about as they're saying, well, how do I get in? You know, there are, there are lots of ways there. It might not be, you know, immediate but there's things you can do to bridge into that role. So now, you know, from Amazon, you, you went over to, to Home Depot. So why, why take on Home Depot, uh, you know, after coming from a tech company like Amazon? Now, it had to be a, a shift, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. And part of the reason was that, you know, my wife and I, we've got two little kids and we wanted to move a little closer to home. Our families are mostly in the Midwest and being on the West Coast and only seeing our families a couple times a year was just tough. And we wanted our kids to have a, a relationship with their grandparents. And so part of the reason was we wanted to move to get closer. And, but then as I started to really evaluate where I might want to work and what kind of next career opportunities that I really wanted, there was a couple things that I really targeted. The first thing was trying to more directly connect the work that I was doing or the team was doing from a product management standpoint to the business. I mean, a Amazon's business model and the businesses that I were in was kind of the razor and razor blade approach where you sell the device more or less at cost and then you make it up on usage and engagement. But there wasn't necessarily a direct link between the things that I was working on and kind of the outcome of the business or generating a massive amount of revenue. There was a little fuzzier um, in a previous role. And I really wanted something that was a bit more of a direct link between the things that myself and the team were working on and kind of the business outcomes. And I thought e-commerce 
as an industry would, would be able to provide that for me. So that was one thing. And the second thing was I was really interested in omni-channel and the concept of delivering experiences offline and online. And I thought that there was likely to be a really interesting intersection in helping customers certainly buy things through a mobile app or through a website. But then the intersection between that and an in-store experience was something that I was just really fascinated by as a customer. And Home Depot has you know, a world-class kind of omni-channel experience that they've made a ton of investments in. And it was clear that it was a priority for them. And so it was kind of a couple of reasons why I thought the Home Depot opportunity and, and why I kind of jumped at the chance to join the team and, and move my family from Seattle to Atlanta. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. Now, tell me a little bit more because Home Depot, you know, I imagine then and still today, rapid digital transformation going on there. What problems were you trying to solve? Where did product management report in the organization? What were your big learnings from Home Depot? I mean, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, I had, I had been part of a big organization at Amazon. I watched Amazon go from 5,000 to 50,000 people. And, and Home Depot, in a lot of ways, actually felt like a much smaller company, even though on the grand scale of things, I mean, they have uh, 100,000 employees spread across 2,300 stores plus the, the corporate office. And so that was, uh, that was not as big of a, a challenge for me coming from, from Amazon. And even though they were still in, I would say, I don't know, the early innings of digital transformation, they had already mostly made the leap internally to say that digital was strategically important for the business and they were, as a company, making the investments in people and process and technology to really push their business forward for the future. And so, you know, I think it's difficult, it's more difficult joining a company that hasn't really made that strategic intent and desire and you're fighting a bit more of an uphill battle with an organization that hasn't really fully understood the impact of digital and, and hasn't made the requisite investments in their digital experiences or their team to make that happen. In Home Depot's case, that was that was not the case. I was joining, I ended up joining the broader e-commerce organization, which mostly encompassed a lot of the uh, digital experiences they were delivering to customers, but really centered around how do you get customers to you know, buy and transact online? And then how do you have a great experience with them both in-store as well as on the, the pickup side of the business? And so I got to witness and, and take part of a lot of the intersection between offline and, and online. And that was just really exciting. You know, buy online, pick up in store is still, still a kind of a, a new technology, which is quite shocking. But uh, Home Depot had made a ton of investments in their store infrastructure and in their technology to make that experience really, really seamless. And then when I think about uh, my role leading the mobile app team, they had already developed the hypothesis that the mobile app certainly was for you know mostly our Home Depot's best customers, kind of the highest LTV customers were our consistent users of the application. But one of the things that I think they noticed was that a lot of the visits to the mobile app were actually taking place within a store. And so they, they saw that data. And I certainly saw that when I was there. And we really expanded on a lot of the capabilities and functionality within the mobile app, using it as an in-store tool to 
you know, just in, in basic ways, helping customers navigate a 50,000 square foot store is, is difficult. And so helping them find what they're looking for or whatever their home improvement project was, helping them kind of navigate the store using their mobile app was a huge value add to them. And I think reinforced a lot of that customer satisfaction. And ultimately, they gave Home Depot a bit of preference when it came to shopping for supplies. And so there was a good link between what the customers were getting value from and then how we were driving value through kind of the e-commerce revenue side of the business. Yeah, I like that. I think that that's an interesting like learning from data, right? That you looked at and saw how many people were using mobile in a store. Now, the structure of, of product management, where did it report inside of Home Depot? I mean, a lot of these you know, traditional companies that are moving to digital, there's always the story of like, how are they structured? You know, where is the product management organization built? Is there a CPO there? Does he, who does he report to? What did it look like or what does it look like? Either one at, at Home Depot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually changed quite a bit since I've left. But what it looked like for, for me when I was there was you had kind of a central e-commerce organization that all rolled up to our VP of e-commerce. And then he worked for our chief marketing and chief digital officer, more or less. But he was really responsible for almost all of the core product management at Home Depot at the time. Now it's expanded a lot more as it's gotten you know, beyond the walls of e-commerce and it's made its way into internal facing teams and supply chain teams. But when I was there, it was really kind of the center of mass from a product management standpoint, at least on the digital side, was really in our e-commerce organization. And so we had kind of design and product management and then a partnership with our engineering and IT folks, which are actually a different organization, but we worked really closely with them to be able to kind of bring these experiences to life. And so that was kind of a, a somewhat traditional model. And then ultimately, you know, we, like most companies, uh, tried to figure out how to best organize teams for success. And so I was part of a process where we tried to decentralize the teams in a way, kind of the squad-like model that you hear so much, but really trying to have a product manager or several product managers and a handful of engineers and a couple designers centered around an experience for customers. And so that was a, also an interesting transition to really break free from the traditional product management in a silo, design in a silo, and then IT and engineering in a silo. The squad model was actually a really effective way of breaking down some of those silos and helping teams think more holistically about the experiences that we're delivering. And so that actually felt pretty, pretty cutting edge for a big company to really change the way they were organized in a fundamental way all the way up to, you know, kind of the VP level. And so that was actually a really interesting approach. And I think, again, it shows their commitment to digital as a company and, and willing to kind of make the necessary changes as the, the twists and turns of, of any business. Yeah, all reporting up to like a chief digital officer. And, and so what was the background of the chief digital officer? Did he come out of IT? Did he come out of product? Was it a, a you know, line of business oriented person? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a really good question. So our VP of e-commerce actually came from a uh, more traditional e-commerce background. He'd actually joined Home Depot from Staples where he ran their e-commerce business. But our chief digital officer and chief marketing officer was mostly on the, the merchant side of the business. So his background was very heavily in 
more of a, a general management. He came from GE where he ran a number of business units and business lines at GE. And then he joined Home Depot in a similar capacity. So he ran the services business, the Home Depot services business as kind of a, a general manager, and then ultimately took over kind of e-commerce and marketing and, and helped marry those two things together to really accelerate a lot of the growth that Home Depot is seeing online. But it, his background is, is really interesting, but more of a, a general management. And so um, I think he has looked to his team to kind of fill out some more of the, the core digital capabilities. And certainly our, our VP of e-commerce fits that bill. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is that how it is today? You mentioned the structures changed when you were there. How did they adapt and change the structure and why? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most interesting thing that they did was they kind of federated out product management a little bit more. And so now what you see at an organization is product management, not just living within the e-commerce business, it really lives in a lot of other organizations. And so while there isn't a true kind of chief product officer, a lot of the work that our exec team or our leadership team did at Home Depot was really evangelize the value of product management. And I think over the last two years since I've been gone, product management as a discipline at Home Depot has really made its way into all parts of the business. And so I think you know, I've, I've had a number of colleagues who've made the transition from the e-commerce side to the supply chain team. They're making a ton of investments in their supply chain, but bringing a product management discipline to that has also been really helpful. And I think infused a lot of what you would hope is kind of that customer working backwards thought process and, and really trying to be more pragmatic about what you're building and why you're building it. And I think that has actually been hugely beneficial to the organization at large. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. So they would end up reporting into the particular unit they're in, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was more of a, a federated model um, yeah. of having product management live within, you know, these different different businesses. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's an interesting model. I know Wix does something like that, even though they're a tech company. And then the challenge that they mentioned is then how do you get, you know, how do you give them some of the career advancement, some of the knowledge, you know, without having kind of that, that CPO that they report to where they've, you know, these have these uh, guilds in essence of product managers and get together to share best practices and more or less have a, you know, guild leader who comes as like a CPO. Does, does Home Depot do anything like that where you have, you know, these federated product managers and then the question is, okay, how do they, you know, refining their skills, the, their craft, right? How yeah. Does, support that? Or is that something that's kind of ongoing that they're looking at? I think that's probably a bit in its infancy at, at this phase. I, I think you're 100% right to call it out. And I'm sure it's a key challenge for them and, and how they kind of grow their product management people within a particular business unit, but also across the company. And you know, folks that are general managers of a business line may not be the best kind of product leaders and product management leadership to really help folks grow in their careers. And so I think that's going to be a big challenge for them as they think about, you know, growing a more of a distributed product management organization across the company. Yeah, I can I can see that as a challenge. There's a lot there's a lot of of good positives for doing it this way. And I really like the Wix guys when they talked about it because it empowers a lot of people and really empowers those business units too to have control and think of themselves as many businesses. And, and you can hire some, some more entrepreneurial, innovative people, I think, that way too. But it does represent some challenges of things like reuse and you know, advancement of craft. So yeah, it's always interesting to see how people are addressing those. So you know, that's really cool. You know, 
one of the things I want to dig in there is, is mobile, right? Talk to me about, you know, a lot of product managers out there in the mobile space. Mobile is super complicated, can be super challenging, different devices, different systems running on devices, different, you know, SDK, all kinds of stuff there. Talk to me about, you know, advice for product managers working in the mobile space and how you dealt with some of the challenges there. Yeah, I very much agree coming from Home Depot and running their mobile app team. And then now, even today, having a product focused on helping mobile app developers uh, understand their digital experiences. It, there, it is a real challenge. And I think a lot of the challenge stems from a couple things. And, and the first thing is probably maturity of the ecosystem. I mean, the, the web and browsers have been around for a long time and have had you know very much a long-lived approach to start to standardize on a set of you know, technical protocols, as well as tooling, as well as just how things work. And mobile just hasn't gone through that same transition. And I think a lot of that leads to you know, standards being very different or just less mature. And so when you as a product manager are thinking about you know, how to get access to, let's say, some quantitative analytics information, it just becomes harder. And the tools and products that are available for you to help and support your job um, just become more difficult. I think what that really leads to at an organization for the most part is the mobile team ends up being maybe a little bit more siloed from the rest of the organization. And they end up carving out their own path when it comes to how they manage the business and how they measure the business and what sort of tools and software and development practices they use because it is so different. I mean, even if you just simply think of the, the distribution model with mobile apps, you know, having to go through the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store is a very different process than simply releasing something to the web in a much more real-time fashion or being able to do an A-B test in a very much a real-time fashion. I think they just present a set of unique challenges. And I think the way most folks, and certainly the way at Home Depot we did, was we kind of fractured off a little bit and tried to find things and processes and technology that would really be specific for us. And so we tried to take more of a best of breed approach versus, you know, hey, this is kind of how we do things on the web. And this is how we measure the business. And this is kind of the process that we take from a product development standpoint. And I think we end, you end up just being a bit of a different product team in a, in a lot of ways. And you end up kind of being siloed and the tools you have access to don't feel mature enough. And so you end up, you know, working with folks, you know, like Pendo and like Full Story that are more on the bleeding edge of, of innovation. And I think that adds a lot of value for mobile app product managers. Awesome. Now, you know, you you go from Amazon to Home Depot, now to Full Story, right? So you went from two really large companies and, you know, Amazon, I guess when you started was big, but not huge like they are today. But now you're back in a, in a startup, right? Talk to me about, you know, making that jump, what might have concerned you or didn't concern you. And talk to me then about the biggest differences doing product in those places. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be honest. It was a little scary thinking about, and most of my career has really been at, at larger organizations. And there was definitely a bit of fear and trepidation in making the move to a startup. I think a couple things that really helped me was 
One, the team that I get to work with every day at Full Story is incredibly talented and learning from them makes this whole thing easier. There's a lot of kind of battle scars that folks across the company have really gained. And and I think I have learned a ton about how to operate as a product manager in a growth stage startup. But the one thing I would say, even though I, you know, I've been at big companies like Amazon and Home Depot, in a lot of ways, they have operated, well, certainly at Amazon, they've operated kind of like a, a startup within a bigger business. And so a lot of the growth challenges that you face in the startup world, and as well as how fast things change and how quickly you have to adapt were actually things that were pretty natural and organic for me. And so when I joined the team and you know we were starting to scale the business and scale the team, a lot of the challenges that we faced were, were felt like things that were very familiar for me and, and things that hopefully I could uh, have a big impact on and, and add value on. And so I really tend now as I think back that this growth stage company, kind of a venture-backed company, is something that I just really, really like and feel incredibly fortunate to have found this experience and, and helped grow with the team and helped the, the company grow. And so I'm not sure if I could go back to a, a big company like an Amazon or a, a Home Depot. There's just something really great and seductive about working at a, a growth stage startup. And I think for me personally, it really is about the impact that you can have on the business and you know working in a relatively small organization everything that you do and the products and features that you work on can have a real measurable impact on helping grow the business and helping customers solve a pretty unique problem and i think those are two things that are just really exciting for me when i think about working at a growth stage startup yeah absolutely those are definitely exciting things now I imagine there's there's learnings you specifically applied from Amazon or Home Depot to to now your work at Full Story, whether they be frameworks or product principles or methodologies. What did you take out of each of those places and and bring over to Full Story? Can you give me some specifics there? Yeah, there's a couple a couple things that uh, that I've taken over and, and helped here at Full Story. One is just kind of setting up a set of I'll call them canonical reports. But really understanding that quantitative side to deeply understanding your customers. You know, one of the things we pride ourselves on here at Full Story is we use Full Story to understand how our customers are using Full Story. And that is a really interesting window into thinking about and helping your product grow in advance. It also really highlights some of the gaps that you have in the product. And so one of the things that I help do along with the other team is kind of establish a set of North Star metrics centered around you know, user engagement and account engagement that helped us understand the things that we were shipping and how they mapped directly to more or less engagement. And the team was really just kind of starting to think through that and figure that out. And so that was one of the things I took from, from my background. Certainly Home Depot and Amazon are very kind of metrics heavy companies. And so having a lot of the quantitative and certainly qualitative side of the world at Full Story has been really helpful. And so putting some of those processes and procedures in place, um, I think has been really beneficial for the team. And the second thing is kind of a framework or a thought process around how to prioritize 
certain products or certain initiatives or certain themes. You know, at Full Story, we're very much an, an OKR-driven company. But as it comes to what we work on, is really trying to create a bit more of a formal process to make sure that we're capturing feedback from our customers and across the organization. And we're looking at all of the data and insights that we have inside and outside of Full Story to make the best decision possible to prioritize the highest impact features that we could deliver for our organization. Um, Helping put a little bit more rigor and structure into that is another thing that I took forward from my time at Amazon. Now, any other, you know, frameworks or product principles you put in place, you know, didn't have to be from Amazon or or Home Depot, but any other things you put in place that you're like, this is really powerful? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the things actually, um, not necessarily my doing was uh, one of my team members is super passionate about customer discovery and making sure that there is clear time and space to be able to really discover customers and more deeply understand them at the very front of the product development process and taking the time and space to really doing that nitty gritty kind of product work, I think is something that has been hugely beneficial to the team as we go through and and try and, you know, some of these bigger arcs of work where we really want to dig in and understand how customers are using full story or what are the problems that they have in going through a more formal kind of discovery and feedback and here's this prototype, what do you think about it? And then showing them more of an alpha or beta release and then getting their thoughts and feedback and then building that back into how we ultimately create the product, I think has been something that has been hugely beneficial to the organization. And I can't take a ton of credit for that because, you know, Agata and my team, you know, took that all all on herself, but I think it's been a big, big benefit to the company. So I wanted to talk about a tweet you had, right? You, you said something and I'll paraphrase a little bit, but it was like, you know, product managers spend more time on new products and features, but not enough time removing things within their products, right? Tell me a little bit about that because I think it's important. I mean, people think of a product management about a build process, but there's also, you know, a culling process to a certain extent, right? So what are signs that something needs to be removed? How would you advise product teams to think about this process and, and removing features or simplifying a UI? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's definitely something that uh, I feel passionately about, but I probably actually don't practice enough in my practical role as a, as a product manager here at Full Story. And so this might be a little hypocritical of me to say, but it is something that I, uh, I try and push the team on and we think about a fair amount at Full Story. I think for me that the tweet and my thought process around this is this is how I think a lot of B2B, but certainly B2C organizations start to create a lot of unnecessary complexity within their customers. And so if they're spending 80, 90% of their energy on, okay, what's the new product or new feature or new service or change we can make to an existing product or feature or service to be able to push forward, you know, some metric or a CSAT score or engagement. I think what gets lost in that is the idea of stepping back and saying, are we building the right end-to-end experience for customers? It's really easy to get focused on any one silo or part of an application. And that leads to, you know, the stigma of, of B2B products of being hard to use and being kind of 
enterprise-like. And I think as product people, nobody wants to feel that way. And you don't exactly know that you're going down this path until it's too late. And so one of the things that I would say is, is really important and helpful as folks think about removing products or deleting code, which our engineers certainly like in a lot of ways, is to, when you go into and you're getting ready to launch a feature, I think most folks have a good sense and a lot of good muscles around establishing a set of success criteria or metrics that denote success. And then when they launch the product or feature, measuring their efficacy of that product or feature against their success criteria, and then figuring out how to iterate on that going forward to make it more successful. I think another approach to add to that would be to say, you know, put in some metrics around where when are you going to walk away or when will you kill a certain feature? And so kind of the anti-success metrics, but really doing that upfront, I think helps hold product managers and product organizations a little bit more accountable for saying, hey, look, this isn't working for some reason. We've given it a try and we feel like we have a good approach. This isn't the right approach for us or for our customers. So let's kill it and let's try something differently. And I think stating that up front can be a really powerful, impactful way to do that. So then as the team goes into it, you know, there's this natural tendency to want to hang on to, to things that you ship out to customers. But I think you can mitigate that a little bit by going in and saying, when is, you know, under what scenario or under what conditions would you actually remove a product and getting everybody's alignment on that so that when it does come time and you get to a point where, you know, your product or feature just isn't adding the type of value that you thought to customers, that there's a very clear reason and rationale for removing that. And there's not as much kind of heartburn on the team about getting rid of something. Awesome. So, you know, we talked a lot about product managers. We talked a lot about product leadership. You know, tell me what you think makes a good product manager. How do you evaluate their skills? You know, whether it's for hiring or, you know, when you're jumping into a new role and and evaluating your existing team and your team as it continues to grow. Yeah, it's a good question and, and something that I think quite a bit about. And I will say that it's it's very situational in some ways. And I think you as a product leader have to really map the skill sets of the organization and of the product managers of your team to what the organization really needs. And so I'll give you some insights into how we think about it at Full Story, but this is not a one-size-fits-all approach for, for all organizations. And I think it really does have to be specific to the company and the culture and the product, and that there'll be some twists and turns in how you think about the, the skills needed to be an effective product manager. But at Full Story, a couple of things that we think about, one are, are technical skills, like do our product managers have a good fundamental understanding of how technology works, but certainly how Full Story's technology works? And I think this is one of maybe the more controversial skills across a product management. I know a lot of folks ask, do I have to be technical to be a product manager? And in general, I don't think you have to be super technical, but there are some companies where you're building a really complex product and you're selling to a more technical audience or a technical set of users. And so I do think having some level of technical skills can be really helpful for a product manager 
to add a bunch of value in an organization. And so at Full Story, that's that's definitely true in our case. And so we think about kind of training and development around technical skills. And then the second thing would be around kind of analytical abilities and making sure that people have or product managers have a really good analytical approach to solving problems. And so I think that can take a number of different forms, but really helping folks think through how to analyze data, how to take a set of insights and craft that into kind of a product direction, I think is really important and is probably important across any number of product management roles. And the second thing, or the third thing is kind of communication and collaboration. A lot of product management and getting things done as a product manager is your ability to influence or frame up a discussion without any real true formal authority. You know, most product organizations don't or product managers don't have folks reporting into them. And so they're really responsible for helping drive consensus across design or engineering and coming with a strong point of view and directional sense, but also having the empathy and the emotional intelligence to be able to kind of guide the conversation to an outcome that is best for the business, I think is a very tough skill, but a very important one for product managers. And so those are kind of the three things that come to mind. Maybe the the last thing, and this might be the hardest one to truly test for and, and maybe build up into some ways is something around product sense or customer listening, I think is a really important skill for product managers. And this is a bit nebulous, admittedly, but the idea that you can help and listen to customers and be able to translate that into a product service or a feature, I think is a really important skill. And so at, at Amazon, we have this concept, of, uh, there's a concept of working backwards from the customer. I think infusing a lot of that into how folks think about product management is a really powerful way to you know really focus on what matters the most, and that's delivering value to your customers. And then kind of the business side tends to take care of itself in that way. But uh, I think those are a couple things that come to mind when I think about core skills of product managers. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good overview. So we're getting kind of close to the end of the interview. I wanted to talk a little bit about the future. What do you see as the future in product management? What trends do you see that product managers need to keep an eye on? Well, I mean, the first one, and maybe the most obvious one, is the the budding practice of product operations. I think this is something that Pendo, you guys talk a lot about, and we've had a lot of conversations internally about what product operations looks like. And I think as product managers and product management organizations start to think about more of a specialization approach to product management, thinking about how product operations as a practice can help add value and up-level an organization, I think is a pretty interesting trend for, for folks. The second thing, and I think this is this is maybe a slightly controversial, but I believe that the strict role and nature of product managers, designers, and engineers are actually going to get more fuzzy than they are going to get more clear. And I think you'll end up over the course of time having product managers who are really good at design. You'll have designers who are really good at product management. You'll even have designers that are really good at engineering and engineers that are really good at design and product management. I think it's actually really helpful for organizations to cultivate that and figure out how to foster 
a little bit of the blurry lines while certainly keeping folks in a general swim lane. But I do think the, the future of product management and product development in general, the lines between who a product manager or a designer and maybe even an engineer will start to blur a little bit more than they are today. And so that'll make some organizations probably more uncomfortable, but I think it'll give folks and companies a really interesting approach to kind of blend the three skill sets of product managers, designers, and engineers, and really infuse a lot of thinking back from the customer and being able to develop world-class solutions for them in a way that just hasn't been possible in the past, I think. Yeah, I definitely can see that, especially in the product and design side, you know, more of, of that kind of a blurry line. And I think the important thing is just making sure that you maintain accountability, right? You can't have a designer that, you know, goes rogue and does all the product management work, but, you know, doesn't get any design work done. Yeah. You know, there, there's definitely part of that kind of just framework and structure you need in place. But it's, it's very interesting to have someone with a design background that moves into product management and assumes those responsibilities because the lens through which he looks at things can be a valuable add to your team, right? Because, you know, he brings a different perspective than maybe, you know, some people that have grown up purely through product management or through other parts of an organization would bring. So I do think see a lot of strength in that and, and kind of, you know, some of that overlap. Same thing, you know, engineers who move into product managers, uh, they bring a, a different, you know, outlook. And definitely seeing a lot more of squad look, like where engineers, product managers, and designers are working more hand in hand, as opposed to, you know, everyone doing their thing in their own, you know, little fiefdom and throwing stuff over the wall to each other. I definitely like that kind of you know, let's let's solve this problem together, each bringing a different perspective to it as opposed to let's all work independently on our section of it. I, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, and one last thing um, I would call out here and, and you mentioned is I think a, a key challenge for product leaders going forward is to create a truly diverse team and product organization. And I think that stems in a lot of different ways. And that could be, you know, diversity of thought and that certainly could be diversity of background. And I think it's upon us as product leaders to create, intentionally create the mechanism for diverse thoughts and diverse people in our teams, in our product organizations. And I mean, there is so much data out there that says that, you know, you as a team are just much better off with a diversity of thought and a diversity of backgrounds and a diversity of people. And I think as we look to the future as product leaders, you know, we need to be holding ourselves accountable for building and creating the approach to create diverse teams. And I think that should be a, a key charter and challenge of a lot of product leaders. And so if, if you're a product leader and you're listening to this podcast, I think that is one thing about the future that you should be seriously thinking about how to intentionally grow or create a, a truly diverse product team. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've talked a lot about you know diversity of thought, diversity in general uh, on the podcast in the past. I had Benjamin from Airbnb, you know, who's a designer there. I think he still is. <laughs> you know, that was uh, he had a lot of great thoughts on the subject, and I, I think it's important that as product teams, we have to think about like we're not just building the product for this small subset. We're building a product, you know, in ninety nine point nine percent of the cases for as many people as possible, right? So we want to be very, very careful of making sure that we have that, that diversity represented in our teams and in how we build the product. Yeah, I 100% agree. 
So, you know, as we're wrapping this up, two final questions for you. Uh, you know, what's your favorite product? What is my favorite product right now? That is an excellent question. I mean, besides full story, you know, I, uh, I'll give you one product is this is a very non-traditional answer is, you know, my wife and I mentioned we've got two little kids and so we're, we're on the go constantly and we're looking for convenience. And we, uh, about a year ago bought this, what I would call a piece of technology. It's really a product to be able to quickly cut up grapes when our kids were, were younger. Um, it's hard for them to eat a whole grape. And so we were, you know, using a knife and trying to cut up grapes. And we bought this just amazing, fantastic product on Amazon that you just put a grape in it and you kind of push this lever down and the grape splits into four pieces without actually crushing the grape. And so it's actually, ironically, a, a product that I've been using a ton and uh, we've been getting a ton of value out of it. And, and even though it seems so simple, I think the, the beauty of it for us was it really spoke to a problem that we have and the experience of using it is actually really, really great. So I'll give you a kind of a non-traditional answer. Yeah, no, but that is really cool when you think about like, you know, just, a, you know, a simple product to solve a problem, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing that that is something that really still resonates with people. And if you can find that core problem and you can develop a product that solves that in the simplest way possible, I think people really like it. And you know, I would certainly give it five stars review on on Amazon. Awesome. So, final question for you today, and this has been wonderful. Three words to describe yourself, Justin. Well, three words to describe myself, boy. I should have come um, probably more prepared with my kind of three tight words, which I, I don't really have. And so I'll may ramble a little bit here. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I think a lot about is just thrash and organizational thrash. And so I think a lot about as a, as a person that wants to avoid, <laughs> avoid as much thrash as possible. And so that's probably something I would use to describe myself. And the second thing is trying to be an authentic and genuine person. I think one of the things we talk about a lot at Full Story is being able to bring your whole self to work. And that is a really, really hard thing, but it is something that I really try and, and do. And I think a lot about myself is trying to be just a, a genuine, authentic person to the people I work with or the people I interact with or my family or even, you know, listeners on your on your podcast. So those are a couple of things that come to my mind. And if I was going to have to pick a third one, I would say that I'm, I'm very much, a, I guess, a pessimistic optimist where I try and balance a lot of the pure optimism and temper that with a little bit of the, the pessimistic nature in terms of what could go wrong if we go on a, a particular direction. And, and I think that's, a, that's one thing I'd probably use to describe myself. Awesome. Well, thank you. This has been great. Yeah, Eric, I really appreciate it. And thanks again for the opportunity to, to chat with you and speak to your listeners here.